Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 390th edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We're broadcasting in this our ninth year, broadcasting right across the world from our studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California. This is the entertainment and almost the technology capital of the world these days. We've got the 400th show coming up, what, 10 weeks away? So we've got to plan something special for that. So wait, look out for it. Now, my interview today is with Adam Van Stratton who's one of the world's leading lawyers for music stars and sports champions. He's um, in LA this week from his home country of the UK because, as we all know, LA is the capital of the world for entertainment. And if he wants to get big, he's already big. (laughs) He's famous. He does contracts for people like those footballers who earn hundreds of millions of dollars in the English football league. And he's, he's actually been here this afternoon. He's only just left. But I was fortunate enough to catch up with him for dinner on Sunday night and caught him again last night for the interview. And today he was around at the house. So listen in for that interview in about 10 minutes. So I thought I'd begin today with another great story about music. Now, I'm not sure whether it's a good story or not, but most of us can still remember when the way that we got our music was through records. Now, for most of the audience, records were sort of round plastic things with holes in the middle that you put onto a turntable and it played. And uh, it's not all that long ago, but we were selling hundreds of millions of these plastic discs. Absolutely terrible for the environment. Now we're streaming music and we're not selling millions of records, so that has to be good for the environment, right? A few hundred million pieces of plastic out of the environment, got to be good. Wrong. Music streaming with no discs, records, is much worse for the environment than hundreds of millions of records and CDs. How can that possibly be? Well, if if you look at the history and the price consumers have been willing to pay for listening to recorded music, it's never been lower than it is today. And yet the environmental impact of listening to music has never been higher. The economic costs of recorded music consumption have steadily fallen in recent decades, while the carbon emissions have continued to soar. So from a plastic pollution perspective, the good news is that overall plastic production in the recording industry has fallen from about 130 million pounds of plastic in 1977, which was the heyday of the long playing record. It's 130 million pounds of records down to about 20 million pounds a year today. So it's down by... 85%. So these figures would suggest that the rise of downloading and streaming music is making music more environmentally friendly. But from a carbon emissions perspective, 
The transition to streaming recorded music from internet-connected devices has actually resulted in significantly higher carbon emissions than at any previous point in the history of music. Storing and processing music online uses a tremendous amount of resources and energy, and this has a very high effect and impact on the environment. Now, while 300 million kilograms of greenhouse gases were generated for plastic, from plastic records in 1977, that was the high point in records, 308 million kilograms of greenhouse gases. By 2016, using streaming and transmitting digital files, greenhouse gas emissions is 660 million pounds just in the US alone. So it's gone from 308 to 660 by getting rid of all the plastic and streaming. It's a bit of a surprise, isn't it? The research also shows that while the environmental cost of music consumption has never been higher, the cost of consumers buying music has never been lower. In 1997, consumers were willing to pay about 5% of their average weekly wage for their music. And that percentage dropped to approximately 1% with the advent of streaming. So streaming, of course, um, changed the business model of consuming recorded music. What used to be a commodity industry, i.e. You'd, you'd go out and you'd buy a copy of whatever record you liked and you'd stick it in your record library. Now it's a service industry in which you buy temporary access to music stored in the cloud. You know, we used to, I remember when I actually threw out my record collection a long time ago, but when I threw it out, which I never should have done, of course, but I had probably, because I was, I was an entertainer for a living, so I probably had 500 records, which I threw out. Of course, those 500 records today, because now they're collectibles, would have been worth um, probably 10 or 12 or 15 or 20 bucks each. So I just dumped 10 grand. However, you used to buy them and keep them. Now, you don't. So, you know, it's 9.99, barely 1% of the average weekly salary. Consumers now have unlimited ad-free access to almost all re- recorded music ever released. You know, you get it on platforms like Spotify and Apple Music and YouTube and Pandora and Amazon and a whole bunch more. Um, very cheap but you don't have a pile of records in the corner. So to compare past and pre and present emission levels fairly, I guess you've got to factor in the emissions involved in making the devices on which we've listened to music because we used to listen on record players and used a lot of energy and, and emitted a lot of greenhouse gases in making those things. You also need to look at the fuel burned in distributing LPs and CDs to music stores. You know, tens of thousands of music stores with trucks going to all of them constantly with new records. 
plus the cost of distributing players then and now. So there are a lot of things to think about. And there's the emissions from the recording studios and the emissions involved in making the musical instruments. You might even want to compare the emissions in live performances in the past and the present. Speaking about live performances, last night I went and saw Pink at the Staples Centre in Los Angeles. She was phenomenal. Brilliant. And uh, a really good friend of mine's a drummer for Pink. And so um, trotted along. But the show, if coming to a stadium near you anytime soon, go along and have a look. It is mind-blowing. And I've seen a hell of a lot of acts, but she was phenomenal. So the overriding point, I guess, is that the price consumers are willing to pay for listening to recorded music's never been lower, and yet the hidden environmental impact is huge. A streaming platform is the right business model to facilitate music delivery, or is there a, a new model somewhere around the corner that we will suddenly will suddenly become the fad? So is streaming music remotely from the cloud the best system of listening to music from the perspective of environmental sustainability? Because, you know, we've got to start looking at the environment and everything we do now because I've seen, I watched a, a um, documentary the other night that said that unless we do something drastic and serious and quick about the environment, we, know, we may really not be here in 150 years, and that's not scare tactic. We literally may not be here in 150 years. So we do have to think about environmental sustainability, and we've got to get stuck into stupid politicians who say that global warming or climate change doesn't exist because it obviously does. So... Unfortunately, when considering the overall emissions situation, we raise more questions than answers, but we do need to do something. Do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletter? we now got about 1.76 or something million daily subscribers. So that means we send out about one point, nearly 1.8 million and about 30% of people read those or open them. So we got, I suppose, 600, 700,000 people a day every day. It takes us 30 seconds to read and every day we tackle a different subject from advances in medicine to new apps to new technology. We talk about subjects like Hyperloop, autonomous cars, blockchain, Bitcoin, all of those things. Today's newsletter is a story about how a recent review meta-analysis determined that in March of 2019 alone, Amazon received more than 2 million unverified reviews, that is, reviews that can't be confirmed as purchases made through Amazon, and 99.6% of those were five stars. So recent MetaView analysis determined that over 30% of all ratings on Amazon, which is why most people buy products because it's got five-star ratings, over 30% are bullshit, fabricated, untrue crap. So 
when you're buying something from Amazon, do not, do not buy because of their star rating system because it's a con. That goes to show you that the one thing you can trust is the Bob Pritchard newsletter. And to receive it, simply go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and subscribe. Now, I've got to be really quick because I've got a long interview today, but while we're talking about music and entertainment, for all those listeners living in Southern California, one of Australia's most popular acts is flying into LA tomorrow. A good friend of mine, he'll be appearing at the El Ray in Los Angeles on Tuesday, the 23rd of April. His name is Kevin Bloody Wilson, and he is extraordinarily funny. But let me warn you, he is triple X rated. He makes Andrew Dice Clay look like a choir boy. He constantly sells out arenas. He sold out 4 million CDs, recently completed a 40 sold out dates in England. So if you're up for some really rugged and really fucking funny humour, go to the El Ray Theatre website or contact me at bob at bobpritchard.com and I'll organise for you to get tickets. You'll have to pay for them, but I'll organise them. My interview to guest today is Adam Van Stratton. He's one of the UK's leading entertainment media lawyers. He's in sport and film, television production, with particular emphasis on the music industry. He's got over 25 years of experience representing some of the biggest acts in music and sports talent from right around the world. This is Bob Pritchard, and I'll be back with Adam in just a moment. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. Over the last eight years, God, it's been eight years. It's a long time. And something like 400 interviews. We've given you the insight into, some, into the lives of some of the world's most interesting business people. We've talked about the services they provide, the challenges that they've gone through, and what we try to do is, at the end of the day, find out what it is that makes them tick. Because everybody that's an entrepreneur or in business faces the same issues and challenges that everybody else faces. But only about 2% of businesses today succeed. So 98% don't. 
don't. Now, you think with all these entrepreneurs ahead of you, going through the same um, trials and tribulations that you're going to go through, that um, you'd learn by other people's mistakes and that you'd be reading up on biographies and listening to um, interviews so that you don't make those mistakes. So it's important that we have mentors, surround ourselves with people that really know what they're doing and that have done it before and carefully plan what you're going to do because success is more about having the right strategy and planning than it often is about having a great product and funding. You know, most people seem to focus on those, but they don't put it together first. Van Stratton Solicitors in England is headed up, headed up by Adam Van Stratton, who's a great guy. Went out to dinner with him last night. He's visiting Los Angeles. And he's one of the world's leading entertainment and media lawyers. And he's got a strong reputation for advising on contractual and related issues for artists, athletes, and in general, talent that makes up the entertainment industry. Van Stratton is a company focuses on sports, film and television production with particular emphasis on music. They've got over 25 years of experience representing some of the biggest acts in music and media and have an impressive roster of some of the most cutting edge and acclaimed new talent from around the world. Once again, they're nominated for the prestigious Music Week Legal Awards this coming May. And Adam is also registered with the English Football Association as a negotiator. Now, I'm not quite sure what the hell that means, but we'll find out in a minute. Now, Adam is particularly well-connected in the US, which enables him and his team to provide a truly international service for his clients. He's in this, he's, as I mentioned, he's in LA this week, and uh, I have Adam on the line. Hi, Adam. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You are being heard right around the world. Fantastic. Hi, Bob. Hi, Bob. Great, to, uh, great to be interviewed by you. Thank you. Okay, let's begin by finding out a bit about Adam the Guy. I, I managed to find out a whole bunch about you, before about the company, before I met you last night. But um, I couldn't find out anything about Adam the Guy. So... Have you always been a lawyer? Did you sort of pop out of college and go straight into law or did you do something else? No, I, I pretty much went straight into law. It, it, it was kind of, it felt sort of predestined, but at that point I didn't know that I wanted to be an entertainment lawyer. I was just qualifying as a you know, regular commercial lawyer doing my training right. in, in the West End in London. But I quickly realized that, you know, it, that wasn't for me, you know, I wasn't going to be a divorce lawyer, I wasn't going to be, um, you know, a family lawyer, I wasn't going to be a conveyancer. And, you know, the, the, the only, the two things that interested me most in, you know, in life were, were, were music and films. Um, and, you so know, you, and then I realized, actually, you grew, you you grew know, up that, in... That, that I, you grew up playing a Stratocaster in the in the garage or something. <laughs> yeah, I was a terrible failed <laughs> musician, but yes, I, I had a band as we all do. <laughs> as we all do, yeah, yeah. Was, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, and I was definitely the weak link. 
you know, everyone else was actually, you know, decent. But, uh, but yeah, but, you know, music really was the key thing for me. And I think that probably um, almost certainly came from my grandfather, uh, who was a musician. He was a pretty well-known band leader in the, in the 1920s and 30s in London. Um, had his band. He actually was signed to Parlophone at one point um, right. as well. And, uh, you know, he played the tenor sax. You know, he was, a, you know, an incredible man. He took Charlie Chaplin how to dance. You know, he was, uh, you know, he was quite a character. And uh, then he became a theatrical agent. And I used to spend all of my time really with him when I was a kid. And I think that's really where, you know, my, my, my love of music came from. So why did why didn't you um, head off and be a um, an entertainment manager rather than a lawyer if um, grandfather was an agent? I think well, because you know, I always <laughs> felt like I was going to be a lawyer. I always felt that I don't know how can I put this. You know, I I always was a bit of a teacher, right? Uh, I was, and I enjoyed that. And I did, you know, sort of teaching stints, you know, language schools and other things like that. And, you know, I've always enjoyed being sort of part of an educational process. And uh, I think, you know, over time, my role has changed a bit. And, you know, we'll probably talk about this in the sense of how we sort of quasi manage, you know, clients that we work with. Mm. But I think, you know, it's, you know, I've always wanted to be part of that sort of, you know, um, uh, you know, education and the process of sort of, you know, helping to develop artists, but in the, you know, within the context of their business rather right. than, um, you know, uh, rather than creatively, or at least that was the case initially anyway. Right. So besides that, you're obviously way too smart to be an agent. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> so... <laughs> What are the range of services that a sports and entertainment lawyer offers? What do you do for a client? Why do they need you? Good question. You know, it's a good question. I mean, I think, you know, they need, you know, if you read the self-help books, you know, the, you know particularly the, the, the music self-help books, and obviously there's a few that are pretty well known you know one of the first things is get a you know get a good lawyer um and you know and i think they they need us for 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 many reasons but i think the the first reason is you know when i think when you're uh when you're a musician you know and, and you're starting out everything you believe everything that everyone tells you yes you know, it's the most exciting place in the world. You know, uh, everybody tells you what you want to hear. Uh, you know, the amount of time, you know, that, that, that I spend and my colleagues spend getting clients out of deals they shouldn't have signed, but they signed, you know, with the best intentions and the greatest enthusiasm. But, you know, they signed deals they should never have signed. And so it's really, you know, you're shaping their, hopefully you're shaping their, their path their course yes. and, you know, cut, you know, and trying to cut out them making the wrong decisions. And then obviously going forward, what you want to do is, um, you know, you, you want to get the most commercial value uh, out of deals for your clients that you can, but you also want to protect them, you know, and, uh, you know, and, you know, there are so many pitfalls, so many problems 
for clients now. You know, I mean, you know, the kind of issues that we have to deal with are, are, are crazy. But, you know, but really, you know, you know, the, the main part of being a lawyer is about protecting them. Right. Um, and then the other part that we get very involved in is trying to help them creatively. How do you, how do you mean by helping them creatively? Determining well, what material know, we, they should play or where they should work or, you know, how they plan out their career or what does that exactly mean? Well, I think, you know, I think things have obviously changed. Uh, you know, the industry's changed a lot, you know, in, the, uh, you know, in, in, in recent times. Um, um, but, you know, an artist now, you know, artists now don't need uh, record companies in the way that they did. Yes. Um, you know, artists can, you know, uh, you know, artists can, you know, they have a choice now. You know, we, we're trying to sort of help them achieve what they want. You know, they can make it. Artists can now make a living and have a career. You know, it might not be, you know, they might not be sure, but they can, you know, they can have, you know, they can have a career from day one, which was never possible sure. in the past. But yeah. you know, but but what you know, but where we get involved, yeah, you know, we try. You know, uh, we try and be selective as well. Not, you know, no, they're not naturally selective. They will take any, you know, client or artist that, you know, emails them or calls them or sure. comes through the door. Hmm. Um, but we, you know, we try and be selective um, in, in, in terms of the artists that we want to work with. We won't, you know, and, and because, our, because our network is very broad, you know, uh, you, you know, in the UK and internationally, you know, we like, firstly, we enjoy, but, you know, but secondly, we, we want to help them. We want to be part of their team and help them achieve what they want. So if they need, you know, a writer, if they need a producer, they need a manager, they need an agent, you know, whatever they need, we can help them, right. um, you know, achieve. And, that, that, and that's what we really enjoy. And of all the, of all the industries, you know, I've been associated with the entertainment industry and the sports industry one way or another all my life. And despite the fact that I absolutely love it, there are probably more charlatans in this business than there is in any other industry, um, particularly when it comes to management. Everybody who can't get a decent job sort of pops up as a manager. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you don't need a qualification to be a manager, it's true, though, isn't it, that there's a, a large number of people that um, profess to be managers or whatever that really have no skills at doing it whatsoever. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I, you know, you, you try, you know, you try, you know, you, you want to give people the benefit of the doubt, you know, because every great manager has to start somewhere. Um, yeah. But, as you say, you know, uh, people wake up every day and decide that they're going to be a manager. And, you know, and, and, you know and, and, and being a manager is a very important role for, for so many reasons. Because, you know, if you are the manager, you are effectively the voice of that artist. So if you don't know what you're doing, you know, you're giving out the wrong messages, then actually, you know, you can damage or kill the career of a potential client. And of course, as a manager, you can take on, you know, uh, uh, as many artists as you like. You throw them against the wall, see which ones stick. Mm. But as an artist, you rarely get a second chance to get it, you know, um, to get it right. Um, 
And so, yeah, I mean, again, I suppose in a way that's part of what we do. We try and sort of police that process. Um, but we do, unfortunately, still spend a lot of time getting new clients out of, you know, management agreements that they shouldn't have signed. Yeah. So what what actually differentiates you and your firm as it exists now? Because I, you've progressed and diversified a lot as you've grown. But what differentiates you and your firm from a so-called talent manager or sports agent? You don't actually um, go out and look for the gigs. Is that the only difference? Um, you know, in some respects, there's no difference, well, to be honest. You know, I mean, you know, I have um, two great young lawyers in the office. You know, they are out every night looking for great talent. They are out, you know, talking to people. They're online. Um, you know, and we found some fantastic talent just, you know, just online. Right. You know, never mind the gig. Um, but you know, I think, you know, I think what, you know, what we do in our sort of, as I put it, closing managerial capacity is we actually, provide, you know, we're not trying to be managers, although there are, you know, we do have clients who actually say, look, you, you know, you kind of provide that service anyway, so why would I pay 20% to yeah. a manager? Um, but, you know, but we don't, you know, but, but we still, I think when an artist gets to a particular um, level in their career, you know, we you know we normally look to uh, make sure they've got a good manager in place. But but you know, but it's interesting that you say that because we're we're definitely getting more directly involved in management now. And I you know we've started a, a small um, management company that's running parallel to the law firm. Um, we've got a few artists that we're working directly with because it's a natural progression. But we're not trying to compete with you know. Managers who are clients, or managers of clients, you know, we, you know, we're, you know, and we're still referring, you know, our clients to them. But you know, on a few occasions where we think, you know, we can make a real difference, then you know, then we're getting directly involved. And I think that once the uh, talent becomes known and they're sought after, rather than doing the seeking, that's when a lawyer really can be a manager. I know so many sports stars who's you. You talk to their management and their lawyers, um, and uh, I think the same probably happens with the major um, musical talent. Because once people are chasing them, it's about making sure that contracts are structured correctly, that you know all the payments are made when they're supposed to, and all those things. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, I, I think obviously we can all think of you know, you know, lawyers turned managers and some very good ones. I mean, we've all seen, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody, you know, the yeah. movie, and the Jim Beach, uh, yeah. you know, was uh, a lawyer turned uh, manager, and, you know, Jim's a you know, terrific manager. Done, um, done fairly well, uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's, 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 he's done okay. Yeah. Um, but, you know, obviously, <laughs> I think it's more common in the, in the US than it is in the UK, sort of lawyers turned manager. Yeah, and sport in particular, I think. So, when you when you find new talent, your your couple of scouts go out and they find a new talent. Do you then guide their career and what sort of music they should play and and that sort of stuff, or do you um, let them be who they are and you simply make sure they don't make any mistakes? Both, I think, is the answer to that. Um, 
you know, it's it's you know you 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 want to let them get on and you know make the records that they want to make, but sometimes you know um, you know we do actually know if they're making, you know, we, you know, because we've been doing, you know, a combined experience within the offices, you know, over a hundred years, of, you know, music experience, you know, so we yeah. know when people are making, you know, the wrong decisions. Sure. Um, and, you know, and, and, and we are, you know, we are genuinely very creative in, in, in the way that we work. And so, you know, you know, we can certainly steer and we certainly do steer clients uh, in the right direction. But obviously, you want to, you know, you, you're not going to change those genre, but, um, but you know, we, you know, we might know that uh, a particular collaboration will give an artist, you know, his or her sure. break, you know, sure. and uh, uh, or, or the right producer or the right remix, and that's, you know, and we will directly make that happen, right. you know, assuming they yeah. want us to. Sure. Um, Having a law firm and also a talent agent is that a, is that sort of a conflict where you're concerned that um, other talent agents are going to say, "Well, I'm not going to use, I'm not going to use them as a law firm because you know the chances are they'll pinch my talent." <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think you know the you know the talent agency part of our business is is, is fledgling and it's very you know it's it's always going to be very limited to. Um, you know, to, you know, probably a handful of artists. And even then, you know, you know, assuming they, they grow and develop in the right way, then, uh, you know, I think our intention would be to hand them over or to partner up with, you know, tradition, you know, with a, uh, you know, experience or an appropriate experience manager anyway. But it's just, it's just, you know, it's just trying to give as much help as we can. It's, it's so difficult out there. There are so many artists now, you know, Putting the music up, and uh, you know, it's 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 strange because it's 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 easy to get a record to market now, mm. but doesn't you know? But it doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, there are some artists that are putting out, you know, music the whole time, which is wrong. There are some artists that are putting uh, not enough music out. Yep. You know, so you know, so whatever we can do, you know, to help the process, we will uh, we, we will try and do. And, uh, you know, but, but, you know, the core business is as lawyers, but, um, but certainly we do have clients that want us to be, you know, fully involved in all of their activities. A lot of the um, talent that I know and been involved with, um, and sports people as well, uh, have huge egos. Um, I was <laughs> one that lived in your neck of the woods, Imran Khan, um, <laughs> comes to mind. <laughs> and uh, how do you... I love it. I love it. I, 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 I was a Sussex cricket fan. Oh, know, okay. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Imran's he, a hero. I mean, certainly on the field, anyway. He and, I, he and I had some dealings. In fact, he and I brought a cricket... Um, match to the Coliseum here between um, Australia and Pakistan and uh, I might tell you we did our ass, but we had some fun <laughs> we were confident it was going to sell out we thought Jesus enough Poms and, and Aussies and Kiwis and and Indians and and um, people from the Caribbean to absolutely fill the Coliseum well it didn't quite work that way um, so 
how do you handle that? How, how much of your business is psychology trying to um, deal with people who think that they should be much bigger than they are, or they, you know, they should they should be doing better? Yeah, it, I mean, it, it, it's a constant issue. You know, there's hand holding, there's you know, ass wiping. Yeah. You know, that, 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 that we do, you know, the, the whole time. But, you know, egos, uh, you know, I mean, uh, I, you know, I guess you get that with uh, with everyone. But, yeah, it's, you know, it, it, look, you, you know, if if their confidence is a you know, natural talent, um, then, you know, then you try and work, you know, with them and, sure. you know, and try and help them and guide them. You know, but, of course, you know, we have clients, we have had clients where, it's you know that they're, they're almost unmanageable in this or, or unhelpable because they yeah. think they know best, um, and so I can't you know I can't pretend that we can tame everyone <laughs> Everybody, and yeah. help everyone, <laughs> you know. But it's uh, it's difficult, yeah. It, it, it's difficult, and you know it's you know I've also worked with you know footballers and you know and they're. You know, and that's you know that's a very tricky industry. But but I think with musicians, you know, I think you know musicians on the whole, you know, in the uh, in the early days are, you know, that you know that they're, they're reasonably grateful. I think, sure. but you know, sure. you do often get to that sort of tipping point where, um, you know, they they don't want to know anymore. I mean, I had a great. Um, um, uh, you know, I had a great breakfast meeting once with a with a client um, um, who had an you know a, a, an enormously successful first album. You know, one of those career defining right. yep. first albums um, that that they didn't like. You know, they felt that the uh, the record label had uh, you know had uh, you know had, 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 had sort of damaged their creativity uh, and yeah. you know, so it came to that you know it came to the second album and of course they you know they wanted to make the album that they wanted to make um, and you know so there were all these fights going on and you know and I remember you know I remember someone saying to me um, about the second album you know the second album syndrome if you like you know yeah. the, the second album is the second chapter of the first book Right. Not the second book. Yeah. Um, and I <laughs> well, I actually sort of quoted this to the artist as we were having uh, breakfast, and they just looked up, glared at me, didn't talk for about five minutes, <laughs> and it was the most awkward conversation. And then, of course, they made the record they wanted to make, and it's stiff. Yep. Yep. Look, it's happened a lot of times. So many now you've been extremely successful in the UK. Why the move to expand solidly into North America? Well, it, it, why, why why wouldn't you? Um, well, okay, let's go back to another question. Um, yes, we've got a talent agency, but we're always going to keep it small, and we're going to limit the number of people. I mean, if your attitude is why wouldn't you? The US is here and it's big. Why wouldn't your attitude towards be, and your, your management agency be the same? Well, I think, you know, the, as I said, the management side of what we do is, is, is very new. It's fledgling. You know, we'll, we'll see how that 
developed. I mean, in, in terms of the core business, which is the the uh, you know the legal practice, sure, sure. Uh, you know, it, it's 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 a global marketplace. Yeah. Um, and you know, and, and you know, without sounding naff, of course, LA is the you know entertainment center of the you know of the world. It is. Um, everything's here pretty much. You know, all the record labels are one out of here. I think perhaps, except Sony, which may still have its headquarters in, in New York. Um, Nearly everybody's here. Uh, yeah, pretty much everyone's here. Obviously, you know, you've got you know all the TV, films, tech, uh, pretty much. So it's it's you know, I think uh, you know because I've always you know in, in the twenty seven years I've been doing this, you know, we've always provided our services clients, you know, on an international basis. Right. Um, the only times, you know, the only time, you know, so whether that's, you know, you know so wherever, you know, both contracts that you deal with, you know, the territory for that contract is the, uh, the world. Yeah. Um, and the only time, you know, that you wouldn't necessarily advise is if there's a particular issue relating to you know, local, you know, local law. So it could, there could right. be a, an issue on the California law or New York law or wherever. Um, but typically, you know, entertainment lawyers negotiate, uh, you know, deals on a worldwide basis. And you know, that's always what I was taught from day one. Um, but, you know, really, you know, if you're going to expand, if you're going to provide the truly global service, yeah, um, that, 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 that you need to provide, you, you know, and you want to provide, you know, it needs to be, you know, you need to have a base here. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and, and, and LA, over the year, you know, I've, uh, you know, over the years I've been coming out to LA um, and, you know, I've always been able to drive business and, you know, help clients, but it's, it's always been in a slightly sort of random way. Mm. Um, and we've never had a base here. And, you know, and so you do your meetings, you, do, you know, you get on the plane, you go back to London, you know, things don't happen as quickly as they should happen. And, of and course, you, miss you, know, the, it, you miss the 80-degree temperature every day too, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Why would I miss that? It's West London. Yeah, it's, you know, you know, we're all a digital, you know, this is the capital of the world. You know, we're, you know, we, you know, you know, there's a lot of UK music lawyers that really only focus uh, on the UK. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, and, uh, and I suppose, you know, arguably there's, there's probably a lot of, you know, LA uh, entertainment lawyers that probably don't look much further than North America as well. Sure. Um, sure, I think that's so, true. So there were, is, that, is that fair? I mean, I, you yeah. know, there always seems to be a bit of a, a disconnect between... LA and London, LA and Europe, um, but you know we have you know we you know whilst we're you know you know we have a very strong base in the UK, you know we work with artists on an international basis. You know we have a lot of uh, African clients. And the Afrobeats you know huge at the moment. Um, a lot of you know a lot of the biggest name African clients. A lot of you know reggae clients. You know, becoming a huge market again, um, and we just want to be able. You know, as part of this, part of providing the best service we can, we need to be working with the best people. Yeah. 
around the world, and, 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 and a lot of them are based here. Now, the music industry's sort of experienced seismic changes over the last, I suppose, 10 years, and taking into account the streaming boom, it, seem, it seems like it's got a very bright future, but it, mostly for consumers and big stars, do you think? What's the future for the sort of that next level of performers down? Can they benefit as well from streaming? It seems that the, the rich artists and the big artists are getting bigger and richer and the guys in the middle are um, finding it a bit harder. Is that a fair statement or no? I think it's a fair statement, but I think what, you know, you know, streaming is an interesting one um, because obviously it's, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's, you know, it's everything at the moment, if you like. Um, right. But, but I think what, what, what it does, you know, it, it is, it, it's giving the artists, you know, power now. As I said earlier, you know, they, they can, you know, they can make a living pretty much from, from day one. You know, yes. Streaming income, um, which, uh, you know, which, which gives them, them flexibility, you know, gives them gives them a choice, if you like. But it's you know, but streaming income, I suppose, you know, really, you know, is going to come once you've got the story, once you've got everything else in place. You know, yep. the meaningful streaming income. So you, I suppose, you've got to build, you know, you build your audience. Um, you've got to tell the story, you know, and that includes obviously. Social media, which is key now, and, and, and lies Absolutely. about the streaming. Yeah. Now, I've um, I've worked across a range of sports, and uh, brings me to the behemoth that's the English Premier League. You're a registered negotiator for the Football Association. I'm told that's a really big deal, but I'm really not quite sure what it means. What is what is does that mean you're one of the few people that can actually talk to players in the football association, or how does that work? If I'm honest, Bob, it's not it's it's not as it's not as exceptional as it sounds. It's uh, everything's changed. Yeah. So, so I've been you know uh, what's called a, a registered lawyer, but uh, you know, the rules changed in terms of who can act as an agent. You know, um, a few years ago, and uh, um, and pretty much anyone now can act as an agent. Right. It's um, it, it's it's astonishing, and that's why you read stories that you know this player's agent is their brother, their cousin, their father, their whatever. Sure. You know, pretty much. You know, there there are thousands of um, um, of. Well, they're called, they're called intermediaries. You know, lawyers are called registered lawyers, but but pretty much anyone can be an intermediary if you um, if you pay the uh, you know fill in the form and pay the fee to the football association. So I'm not disparaging them, but it, it was much harder to be able to you know to to effectively act as an agent historically than it is now. Right. You know, I mean, you know, you you, you could fill in the form, pay the fee. You know, and uh, almost certainly you would be accepted. I would think, you know, to to be an agent. So, um, but but you know, and so it's you know, so there are now thousands. Well, I think you know, there used to be sort of a handful of registered agents and lawyers. Now there are literally thousands. I think that's probably a good thing for for democracy. But is that a good thing for either the for the for the actual sports stars? 
I mean, football for me has been um, has been a concern for, for for quite a long time. Um, in that, you know, in the sort of 1980s, you know, 90, certainly the 1980s, you know, music, I think, was was cleaned up a lot. Um, you know, there were more reputable managers, you know, lawyers got involved, accountants got involved, you know, and, and, and artists used to have this advisory team around them. Um, and so they didn't get locked into horror deals that, you know, that have happened previously. Uh, and the whole industry definitely got cleaned up. I mean, obviously, you know, we all know, you know, horror stories about the music industry. But I think from yeah. the 80s onwards, it, it, it certainly got better. Uh, the football is is a minefield. And I've been on a um, not particularly successful crusade um, for many years to, to try and apply a similar structure uh, for footballers. Right. Um, and to get, you know, an advisory team around them. Um, because football is so extraordinary. You know, you can get a, a kid, um, you know, earning huge sums of money at such an early age um, and you know and, 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 and no one advised them I mean I had this situation um, uh, you know a few years quite a few years ago there are two extremely well known English footballers very successful English footballers came to see me you know uh, unconnected but, but the, the meetings were, were actually quite close and these were huge names that, that everyone would know the world over. And they, you know, and I wouldn't even sure whether they came to see me. And uh, so, you know, so I'm sitting there in my office, so how can I help you? And both of them said to me, obviously independently, separate meetings, we're skinned. Yeah. And I was, I was like, well, what do you mean you're skinned? You know, you, you know, you are a superstar. Yeah. You know, a superstar, that, you know, that era, not not this era, but you are a superstar, you know. And, and, and they say, well, basically, look, you know, we're, you know, I'm 34 years old, so um, um, I'm on my last big contract. I'm probably not going to go into coaching, you know, getting a punditry, you know, I may or may not get a punditry gig. Um, so, you know, but, you know, soon, you know, the 80 grand, 100 grand a week I'm, I'm getting is going to stop. Um, okay, okay, so you've got savings, you've got investments. Well, not really. So I go, what have you got? You know, well, we've got this house, and it's mortgaged to the hill. You know, we've got this property in Spain, it's got a mortgage on it. Okay, do you have any cash in the bank? No. <laughs> what have you got? <laughs> I've got cars, but they're financed. Got a few watches, got some jewelry. You know, and, <laughs> and they're saying, look, you know, <laughs> the money's going to dry up soon. And, you know, my family is not going to change its lifestyle. My family's not going to understand about changing its lifestyle. Um, and I don't know what I'm going to do. And they, they almost had identical conversations with me. Mm. And, you, you know, and, and, and this is very unlikely to happen in music, particularly these days. You know, yeah. by the time the, you know, the accountants involved, the lawyers involved, hopefully a good manager, you know, the, there is that level of protection. You've and got these royalties guys, too. You know, be... Sorry, Bob, sorry. No, you've, that, you've got royalties in music too, but with football, when you stop, the money stops. Yeah, it, 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 it just stops, you know. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's, you know, so I've tried, you know, I sort of 
you know, I'm continuing to to sort of try on this crusade, but it's um, it's it's you know, it's it's, it's proved hard to to make a real uh, difference. But I'm, I'm, you know, we're continuing to try anyway. Um, but I think it's you know, I think it's uh, I think it's very it's very very difficult. And I think you know, but but I think footballers need it more than most because you know the. Uh, you know the uh, you know particularly in the in the top leagues the you know the earnings are extraordinary yeah um but you know and, and also it's confused a lot because you know a lot of these players are you know effectively on you know paye you know so it's yeah. uh, so that you know, the tax is being d- deducted but you know they're not planning for the future sure um and you know and of course you know uh, you know, uh, you know, a player could, you know, go out on a on a cold Tuesday night, and you know, that might be the last game they ever play. You know, they get a career-ending injury. Injury, yep. And I'm we're we're out of time, but um, Malcolm McLaren of Sex Pistols fame um, said in the great rock and roll swindle mockumentary, which was a piece of shit, but nevertheless, um, said <laughs> that a good lawyer is your best asset in the music industry and I think that's absolutely true and it's certainly true in the sports industry and you're obviously a um, very artist friendly attorney so and a like I suppose quasi managerial person as well so um, I wish you luck on your international expansion you're a good guy and uh, I thank you very much for speaking with me Thanks very much, Bob. Really, really interesting uh, to talk to you. And, and, you know, and actually answer your questions, you know, because uh, some of them I hadn't answered, you know, so directly before. Oh, good. Well, thanks very much for speaking with me. To contact Adam and the Van Stratton team, go to Van, V-A-N, Stratton, S-T-R-A-T-E-N, solicitors.com. So vanstrattonsolicitors.com and I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show on Voice America Business Network, being broadcast right across the world from our studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California, where technology meets entertainment. In August 2017, the employees of the Three Square Market volunteered to get RFID chips implanted between their thumb and their forefinger. Now, 20 months later, instead of the backlash that many expected, the staff love it. I personally think it's pretty cool, but nearly everybody I speak to is against it. The main objection is too much big brother. Now, the chips are about the size of a grain of rice, and it just whack and in it goes and uh, the implants use near field communication technology which is also used in credit cards 
and a passive, which means they hold data that can be read by other devices, but it can't read any devices themselves. They make it easier to do things like get into the office or log into computers or buy food and drinks at the company cafeteria. All you have to do is wipe your hand in front of the RFID reader and uh, it deducts the money from your bank account or opens the door or whatever. So when an employee wants something from the snack food and beverage vending machine, they simply wave their hand over the reader and the vending machine immediately deducts money from their bank account. The staff love it. Now, while the implementation of microchips is pretty foreign to people in the United States, in Sweden, it's not unusual for people to get subcutaneous microchips to do a whole range of things. Many Swedes favour convenience over concerns of potential personal data violations and uh, Swedes have gone on to be very active in microchipping and you can use them in the workplace, use them to enter your office, to use vending machines, to provide access to certain equipment in the office, to book train tickets, replace gym cart. You can do a whole bunch of stuff with them. So we can look forward to a day when we get implants, chips that open and close doors and do a whole bunch of other things. And, folks, it's happening. Remember, now, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. It's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. Any bastard can do the ordinary. You don't want to be ordinary. Ordinary is boring. So before I join you again next Tuesday, have a great week. Continue to be successful because the alternative to success really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.